good to see you all here tonight. I know that uh, I was thinking back, well, I've told a couple of people I could really go for a nap right now, uh, and I'm sure you all are in the same boat, but uh, I remember when I was in the Army and Jesse and I had first gotten married, it seemed like those times where we had to drag ourselves to where we knew God wanted us to be, it was always at those times where it seemed like God met us the most and gave us exactly what we needed. And so I pray that if you're here and you uh, have a desire to be elsewhere, but you came here anyways, I pray a special blessing for you. I'm really encouraged by those of you who have come out each night. Uh, it means a lot to me to have, to see you guys here. I want to remind you that uh, if you're going to sign up for the barbecue dinner tomorrow night, that uh, the, all the sign-up sheets are in the same places where they normally are. And then uh, also... Wanted to, I just completely lost my train of thought, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Barbecue, and also to uh, make sure that uh, you feel free to uh, invite any of your neighbors or any of your friends uh, to the cooking that we're going to have. Uh, Bill Powell is cooking a pig for us, and it's going to be top-notch. Really looking forward to it. Again, we've got uh, Terry Stockman here that's going to share God's Word with us. And so what we're going to do tonight is we've got a, a choir that's going to sing a song for us. We're going to have a congregational hymn, then we'll have our love offering. And then we'll have another uh, time of prayer where uh, I ask all of the men and any of the ladies who would like to come forward. And uh, Jack Williford is going to lead us in a prayer. Let me open us tonight, and then we'll hand it over to the choir. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for bringing us uh, safely through another day. And Father, I pray that as we go about our days, that we would continue to be your hands and feet uh, in our neighborhoods and in our jobs. And Father, I pray that we would be busy about sharing your word, and sharing the love that you have for people with others. Father, I pray that as we uh, grow more and more tired as the week goes on, Father, I pray that you would meet with us. Father, I pray that you would meet our needs. And Father, I pray that you would, uh, that your presence would fill this place and that we would leave here more conformed to your image than when we came. Father, we thank you for all the blessings you give us. And Father, we again pray for this storm that's on its way, that you would push it far offshore where it wouldn't be a burden, uh, an extra burden on anyone in our town. And Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Jack Williford to come on up here. And I'm going to ask all of our able-bodied men and any of the ladies who are, would like to also uh, to join us at the front for a prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask Jack to pray for uh, revival in uh, our lives, revival in our uh, town, city, nation, and uh, and continually, as you all know that with all the problems we face, revival fixes all of them. And so we don't want to patch on anything, we want a real fix. And so, Jack, you come and lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, we are so grateful tonight that we can come here in your house this congregation that actually makes this church. The people are the church. And we are trying and working hard, not just only to revive souls, revive this community with the things that happened over the last few days. And we know that the pastor who is bringing our services is doing a wonderful job. It's up to us. It is up to us. And Father, we are so thankful for the Baptist men who have come here working so diligently in Windsor. And again, we would ask you, send that next hurricane somewhere, but not here. 
And Father, we are so very thankful that we have such a beautiful place to be. And we do know that there are those out there who are physically sick, physically unable to be here tonight, but who are in prayer for us. So let us all be in prayer. Not only this congregation and this church, which is the people, let us be in prayer for those in our community, those in our state, those in our nation. And we all have to be aware that, yes, the nation needs revival. This church definitely needs revival. The state needs revival. But our nation, in my opinion, is probably in one of the worst positions it's been in a long time. And we've got to work hard for God, trying to bring others to Christ. Now let us be revived. Let those who are sick, those who are ill, be made well again. Guide us, direct us, forgive us of our many sins. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, amen. Good to see you tonight. And this is a good crowd for a Tuesday night. I'm telling you right now, Bob, it's a good crowd. Amen. I think it, uh, in the last four weeks, I believe this is the best Tuesday night crowd I've had in revivals. <laughs> so, I, amen, man. I'm so glad to be here with you again tonight. I can't believe it's Tuesday. Tomorrow night is, uh, am I not on? It says on, it says green, so I guess I'm, am I, I'm good? Okay. Can anybody hear me? Can you hear me now? Okay. Good. Well, anyway, uh, it, it's good to be with you. Uh, I can't believe it's Tuesday night. Got one more night. I, I assure you, one of the things I've heard this week is how hard, and I've seen how hard everyone's been working and how tired many of you might be, and understandably so. Uh, I can relate to that. Uh, I, I really can. So uh, I, too, find myself uh, tired, tired, more tired than I have been in a long time. And so uh, stuff like this sort of regenerates me and refreshes me. So thank you. Tomorrow night, I promise, I'm going to send you off with some good stuff. It's going to be good. It's going to be, we're going to have fun in here tomorrow night. And, uh, my sweet little bride's going to be with me tomorrow night. And so, uh, uh, you be here. Invite folks to come. Not just for the pig. I know it's going to be good. But also for the meat that we'll see right here in this room. So come and I invite folks to be with you, uh, tomorrow night. Well, what have we discovered thus far? I've told you that uh, revivals are all about being revived, refreshed, and reminded. And I've done a lot of reminding of you this uh, this week. And I'll remind you one more time tonight about something. Uh, and, and I think tomorrow night is going to be a lot about refreshing. Okay? But uh, we, what we've learned here uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, that uh, we have a message. The body of Christ has a message. We've give, been given a mandate in verse 8 of chapter 1 to go in all the world and to be His witnesses everywhere we go. We learned that in order to carry out that, that unbelievable task that Jesus gave us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that we're going to need some power in order to do that. And, and uh, He said uh, to those guys uh, there, and just like we did here, He said, go and pray. 
And of course, that, they had an, an amazing 10-day prayer meeting. And, and then when they came out of that prayer meeting, the power of God descended upon those disciples. They came out and they uh, preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and that was called Pentecost. Now, of course, we didn't uh, look at those first 13 verses. I'm, again, I'm going to let your pastor come back and, and talk a lot about that. It's an amazing uh, 13 verses of, of Scripture. But they preached the message of the gospel in all different kinds of languages so people could hear and understand in their own native language. They were, there were just so happens that there was, uh, not by accident, of course, but there were thousands of Jewish from all over the world got there at the very exact time that God decided to bring the church into existence, and He did. And then 3,000 souls were saved. Peter had the chance to explain what Pentecost was and what happened and preached his first sermon. And we got down last night to the last part of that sermon. And and we saw some principles in the last few verses of chapter 2 that described what is true about a spirit-filled church. Remember, we talked a little bit about that, about uh, joy and about all kinds of things that were true in the life of a Spirit-filled church. And so if we know what is true about a Spirit-filled church, things that would be present in that kind of church, then the very next logical step for me would be then, what is it that we do as a Spirit-filled church? Anybody? Does anybody know? Well, good. I'm going to try to help you out a little bit tonight, okay? Uh, At least from my perspective about... What a spirit-filled church actually does. Now, Luke describes the early church in chapter 2, verse 43. If you'll go to chapter 2, by the way, open your Bibles or turn them on, whichever you have, uh, to Acts. Uh, chapter will be in chapter 3, but uh, what, the way Luke describes the early church is in verse 43 of chapter 2. He says, Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, that was that had to have been some amazing things were going on. I mean, they, they came out of that upper room, they began to preach the gospel, and God gave the disciples uh, the ability to be partakers or divine partakers of, of His power. His divine power. In other words, he gave them the ability to heal if if that's what God wanted them to do. Uh, They didn't do the healing themselves, but the Holy Spirit did it through them. And so we find in 2 Peter that they, uh, uh, Peter himself said that we were for a while given that divine uh, ability to heal. And God used that and other things that they did. And the Bible says there in in verse 43 that many miracles and signs were done to help further prove that Jesus was who he said he was and that the church had come into existence. Now, in chapter 2, he doesn't tell us anything about what any of these miracles or signs were. However, here in chapter 3, he decides to tell us uh, about one of these particular miracles that took place when the church was launched. It was about the healing of a lame man. Now, uh, why he chose this one, I think it's because there was something of significance that he wanted us to see 
and to understand, and I believe, about what a, a, a spirit-filled church does. Now, there are two things that happen, or many things that happen, but two significant things that happened as a result of this miracle that we're going to look at here tonight. For it was this miracle that allowed Peter to preach his second sermon, and he got to preach it. Now, now hear me out now. Don't throw a book at me. But he got to preach it in the enemy's territory, so to speak. He was in the Jewish temple, and he brought Jesus in the temple. Whoo, that's good stuff. When Jesus comes into church, it's okay, smile. I mean, that's good, right? Isn't it good? Well, you know, when you're in this building, Jesus is here. You know why? Because he's in your heart and in my heart. He's here. Well, uh, and then the other thing that I think is important to mention about this miracle is that as a result of this miracle, there began to be a tension between the early church and the Pharisees and the Jewish ruling class. In fact, this tension got so bad that it resulted in uh, later on the arrest of Peter and John and also, if we go into chapter 6 and 7, we'll see that as a result of this healing, that Stephen lost his life. He was the first Christian martyr that we find here after the church was launched. And so, uh, this particular miracle has some long-reaching effect in the life of the early church. And found in it, I believe, are some things that I believe a spirit-filled church really does. Now... Heaven came down. The power of heaven came down in chapter 2. It rested upon these disciples. Why was it, uh, why did it come down? It, it came down so that they would have power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the rest of the world. That's why it came. So, uh, it was not for them to say, hey, look at me. I have the power of God in my life now. Or it was not for them to have it and keep it to themselves and say, huh, I'm not going to tell anybody else, but boy, I'm taking care of it. I don't care about anybody else, but I'm taking care of it. No, he did not give them that power to do that. He gave them that power to do what? To share with the world, to touch the world in which they lived with heavenly power. Now, this is important. He gave them power in order to touch humanity. And then, so we need to be careful that when we're singing songs like Standing on the Promises, I love that song, great old hymn, Standing on the Promises of Christ my Lord. That's all I remember right now, Betsy. But anyway, I, I know that's a phrase in the chorus of that song. We better be careful, however, singing that if all we're doing is sitting in the premises. I'm going to go to meddling here in just a moment. But you need to hear that. You know, we say, standing on the promises of Christ our Lord. But somebody else needs to carry it out. And all too often, that's what we find sometimes in the body of Christ. But here we find in our text, today. In, in chapter 3, we find a, a, the power of God healing a human life. 
Now, this was not just any ordinary healing. This was a, a, a human life that was touched by the power of God through vessels that had been given this ability or this power to reach out and to touch. This was uh, a healing was was not only a physical healing, but it was also a symbolic kind of healing. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So I think there's some valuable lessons we can learn here. So if you have your Bibles with you, I finally got there. That was my introduction. I finally got to the scripture. So you ready? All right, here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. That's a good place to go. Go to pray. Go to church. Pray. Okay? Verse 2. And a man who had who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful. So he could beg for, uh, from those entering the temple complex. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. And Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. Verse 5. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Then taking him by the hand, taking him, excuse me, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood and started to walk and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping and praising God. Wow, 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 wow. Wouldn't you love to have been there? When you love to witness that, would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this amazing passage of Scripture. And Lord, may it speak to us tonight. And oh God, rain down upon us this evening, Father. Pour into our hearts. Fill us with joy and power, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So what we have here before us, and what I just read, was a picture of human tragedy. This was a, a young man, uh, well I'd say young man, he, well to me he is a young man, he was in his 40s. We know that he would, uh, if you go to chapter 4 verse 22, you'll see that uh, he, uh, the, his parents said that he had been lame uh, from his birth and he was uh, about 40 at this time. And so... Remember this, this man never walked a day in his life. He never ran with other boys. He never had a, was able to have a job. He never went anywhere any day of his life without being a burden on someone else. In other words, someone had to carry him everywhere he went. And so this is important to remember as we walk through this. He, he was healed in this scripture Yes, he was healed physically, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but he was healed symbolically as well because he's a picture of human tragedy that is all around us even today. The, the human tragedy that we see is, is powerful. The, the contrast that we see in this man and in the church at the time is absolutely powerful. You see, even though he was 
lame physically, and he was healed physically, we see human tragedy all around us. And it may not be a physical tragedy. Listen, everyone around us at one time or the other has experienced some real difficulties in their life. Would you agree with that? Maybe even some of you here this evening are going through some amazing, difficult things tonight. And you may not even know what to do or how to deal with it. I want you to know that there is a Lord that is greater than your trouble, greater than your difficulty. And He's the same Lord that healed this man, can heal you too, can see you through this as well. And, uh, and the, what you need and what they need is a touch from the hand of God. They need Jesus. But how in the world are they going to get it? By osmosis? No. By emissaries of a spirit-filled church. You see, it's important for you to understand a little bit of the context here on this. So if I may, I, I want to share a little bit about what's going on here. The Bible says uh, that uh, this man was lame, verse 2. Uh, from birth and was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called beautiful so that so that he could beg from those entering the temple complex now there's something about this gate called beautiful it was made out of corinthian bronze it was inlaid with gold and had some sort of a beautiful jewels in it and and they say the, from historical records uh, they say that when the sun shined on it it could be seen for miles and miles and miles around i mean it was a beautiful gate i mean they lo it looked wonderful it was amazing i i know the jews were proud of their beautiful gate and this was the one that they used to enter in to the temple complex. All the folks who were anybody went into the temple gates this way so they could be seen going in the beautiful gate that led them into their religious practices every day. You see, they were going for prayer, what they did every day at three o'clock in the afternoon. It was a, a very good thing to do. It's really a good thing to pray. But they were going in there to practice their religious activity and right under the gate of their temple right under the beautiful gate was hurting humanity right outside the door of the church they were more they were more concerned about the edifices that they met in and they did their religious practices in than they were human tragedy right under their feet he was carried there Every day. He probably wasn't the only one carried there. I mean, there were probably others who were begging for money by those who were going into the temple. So I hope you get the picture here. It, right at the door of the church, someone was hurting. Someone needed a, a touch from the master. And he had been carried there every day. And his hope was that every day someone might have mercy upon him and give him a little something so he could live his life. He, I mean, this is the way he survived. By begging people for his very livelihood. He needed to be touched. And how was he going to get it? From emissaries of a spirit-filled church. So, here's the question. What is it? That emissaries of a spirit-filled church actually does. 
First of all, I believe they impart expectation. I love this about the scripture. Expectation. I think every church ought to impart expectations. And let me ask you this. This is free. This is not a part of this. But when you come to church, when you come to worship, when you come to Bible study, when you come to prayer meeting, when you came here tonight, did you expect to get something from the Lord? I hope you did. Every time that we gather together corporately, you realize that that's an opportunity for God to speak to your heart. That's an opportunity for Him to pour into your life. And, I, you know, that's why I, I get so excited about church, so excited about worship, so excited about preaching His Word is because I never know that uh, but something might happen. I could sit right there. I can tell you this week already, sitting right there, that God has spoken to my heart. I've had worship by something that someone has said, a song we have sung. He has spoken to my heart. So I, I, I can't wait to come to church. i tell you what my routine is on Sunday morning. Has been since day one of my ministry. On Sunday morning, I'm up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I go in there, I clean up, I make the coffee. I'm the coffee maker in our house. I grind my beans every morning. I put it in the pot there and I, I make it and then I go and sit down and I, I go over what God has laid on my heart that week to share with the, the body of Christ. And uh, I, I, I kind of go over that. And then I pray and I say, Lord, uh, is this the direction you may? I just want to make sure this is the direction you want me to go today. Lord, what do you have planned for us today? I pray over every person. I, when I was pastoring, I would come into my church and I would go to every pew and lay my hand on it and pray and ask God to do a miracle of those who sit in these pews this day. I would go to every Sunday school classroom and I would pray over that classroom and I'd say, God, would you do something miraculous in this room today? And then I would go into the choir room, Betsy, and then the choir loft, and I would pray for those, or the praise band, or the praise team, and I would pray over every circumstance. I did that every time I got up to go to church on Sunday morning. And every Sunday morning, I was the first one there. Greta came a little later on. And I, I did that because I couldn't wait to get to church. Because I knew God could probably, through something that takes place, speak. And that's what I wanted Him to do. And I believe a church that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is a church that is able to cause there to be an expectation by its members and by people who observe its members. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In chapter 3, verse 3, he said, When he saw Peter and John, he being the beggar, saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Now, he probably did that a, a thousand times a day. Here comes Peter and John bebopping around. You know, I bet Peter and John were a little bit happier than all the other people walking in there. Don't you think? I mean, look what they just come from. I mean, I bet they were full of the power. I mean, they were, whoo, we're going to church today. How's everybody doing? What's going on? Hey, aren't you glad to be here in the house of the Lord today? And then he sees this man, this guy begging. He says, you know, I don't know what he said, but I mean, he was just doing what he did, his routine, asking for assistance. 
And, and as I read the Bible, and as I read the, the, the context and read what they did, I can put myself in that place. And Peter and John stopped. Oh, this is so good. He stopped. That's what happens when a spirit-filled church is filled with the power of God. Their, their uh, antennas are up there looking for opportunities to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. And the man asked them for help and he goes, whoa! And he looked right at, them, right at him. And he said, look at us! Now, do you think he got his attention? The Bible says, look, he said, Peter and John looked at him intently and said, look at us. In verse 5, so the beggar, he turned to them. What does the Bible say? Expecting to get something. Now, what do you think he expected to get? Some silver or gold, probably. Some money or something like that. And, and, and so Peter, right there in that instance... By saying the words, look at us, got his attention. I am here tonight, I submit to you tonight, that any church who decides to be a church that allows the Holy Spirit to guide and direct it, will be a church that is full of the power of the Holy Spirit, and a church who is willing to do whatever the Lord wants it to do to accomplish what he's asked them to do. So you with me so far? You got all of that, right? All right. And I believe it's the church of the living God who ought to be able by its very presence and by its very activity and by its very ministry say to the world, Hey, look at us. I believe Winton has, I mean, Windsor has, excuse me, I didn't mean to call you Winton. Windsor has done that. Kashai Baptist Church has done that this week. We've said, hey, world, look at us. Maybe we can help you. And my, my hope and my prayer and my desire is that in the, in the shouting of look at us, we are saying, hey, come to us for what you need. Come to us so that we can not only share with you physically, but we can also share with you what everybody needs, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he said that to him, and he said real quickly after that, he said, look at us. And he looked at him intently expecting to get some, and Peter uh, immediately said, listen, I don't have any money. Okay? I, I really don't. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. Now, let me back up here one more time, just so you make sure, I make sure you understand what I mean about this expectancy thing. And I want to give you a real live illustration of that. Several years ago, while in Maryland, our church was going to build 12,000 square feet addition onto our church. Education space, auditorium space, all that kind of stuff. In Maryland, during the early 90s and mid-90s, it was the land of regulations. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't go to the bathroom without a, a work permit hardly. I mean, it was, I mean, we had to spend $140,000 before we ever turned the first spade of dirt. Just get permission to apply for a building permit. Okay? We had to have hearings at the county uh, commissioner's offices, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so, but the cost of that building was $1.25 million, that addition. Now, we, we were a church of about 250, 300 people, something like that. 
we average around 180 to 225 every Sunday morning. We, we were having two services and, and the Lord was really blessing and all that kind of stuff. And we just, just decided that we didn't have the money, by the way. We didn't have that kind of money. I mean, we were, a, we were a pretty good, pretty well off church. I mean, we, we had no debt and, and, and God had brought just the right people. I mean, so we were a white collar kind of church. But nonetheless, that was a big expense for him. I don't care who you are. That's a lot of money to build 12,000 square feet. And so we just thought uh, enough to say, we just trusted God enough to say, well, God, you want us to do it. You brought us here. Evidently, you got the money somewhere for us to do this. And so all, we, we went into a process. And, and uh, a, a little side note. The chairman of our stewardship committee. This is just one little miracle that has taken place all over this during this two-year period of time. He was a, a guy that was a Jew. Uh, and he was raised Jewish. And uh, he was sort of the black sheep of the family because his family was practicing Jews. But he married a Gentile lady. She happened to be a Baptist lady. And that lady happened to be a member of our church. And for 18 months... We worked on God to try to lead him to Jesus, to help him see that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And finally, after about 18 months, because in his fear that his family would disown him, and some of them did, I had a, a Messianic Jewish guy come and share an abbreviated Seder in our service, and he began to show how Jesus was all in that Seder process. And he came forward and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Oh, my goodness. He was a mortgage banker. And so about a year before we went into this campaign, he got saved. God radically saved this man. And so uh, he was a mortgage banker, and our church uh, elected him to be on the stewardship committee. He became the chairman of that. And uh, when he came to me, he said, when this started, he said, Pastor, we, my bank will loan you some money. I said, I don't feel like we're going to have to borrow any money. He said, oh, there's no way, Pastor. Come on, I know you, you're you kind of excited about all of this, but there's no way. Yeah, we're going to have to, you know, have, uh, we're going to have to do something. And uh, I said, well, you go set up the paperwork, and if we have to do it, maybe we will. I don't know. But went on and on, long, long story. But anyway, God allowed us to go into a campaign, and by the time we started the actual construction, we had $665,000 in the bank at that moment. I don't really know where it all came from. To this day, I really don't know. But yes, I do know. He brought it. He put the right people at the right time to do what we needed to do. And 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 and, and a guy came to me and said, well, my bank's kind of asking, when are you going to make the loan? I said, well, we don't need the loan, guy. We're starting the construction. And and by the time November came around, this, that was in May, November came around, and he said, hey, what are we going to do with the loan? I said, we're not going to do the loan. We have $885,000 in the bank. We're going to pay cash for this guy. And boy, we did. And so the word was getting out in our convention, our state convention, in our association. That something was going on in Gethsemane Baptist Church. Didn't know what it was, but something was going on. And, and uh, uh, people were getting out. And, and what we were doing, this miraculous thing we were doing, was saying to our community and to our brothers and sisters in Christ, Hey, look at us! The power of God is moving in this place. And you wouldn't believe the number of baptisms I had during that time. I was in the water baptizing somebody every week. I mean, uh, people were getting saved left and right. Our giving went up instead of going down. 
It's amazing how all that works when you trust Jesus. And so one morning, during the middle of the construction, I was walking from my house, which is about as far from here to your church office. And, and uh, it was about 8.30 in the morning, and I, walked, I was walking to the uh, church, and I saw a man standing by the front door. He was a pretty husky guy, very muscular, and uh, uh, young, and, and uh, I'd never seen him before in my life. And, and I was walking and kind of trying to figure out who he was, and I got about as far as, uh, oh, from, from Betsy to me, to him. And I said, well, hi, sir, can I help you? And he had a sledgehammer in his hand. And I'm not kidding you, he had a sledgehammer in his hand. And he turned around and said, are you the preacher? I went, am I the preacher? I said, well, I stopped, you know. Uh, yeah. He said, well, I, I'm going to tell you, in my quiet time this morning, I went, whoo, thank you, Jesus. He had quiet time this morning. God told me to come here to get the answer to the prayer I've been praying about. We heard about what's going on at your church. And, 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 and I'm expecting something from God. And he told me to come here to get it. He had a sledgehammer in his hands. I said, so he said, is there anything I can do here today with my sledgehammer? And just so happens the back wall of the sanctuary was brick had to come down. Because we were knocking that out. And he said, oh, great. I'll do it. I said, you sure? He said, I'll do it. And then he just went to shout to the Lord. He was singing praise songs, Betsy, all day long. Boom. And here down that wall started coming. All day, I'll go out and I say, you need some water? No, no, no. God's speaking. No, no, no. And I said, lunchtime, you want anything? No, 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 man. Boom. By four o'clock that afternoon, the whole wall was down. And he, and he said, are you done? He said, yeah, I'm done. And God has given me the answer. Thank you, pastor. I said, I didn't do anything. He said, thank you for what's going on here. God has spoken to myself. And that was the result of a church say, trusting Jesus and saying to its community, hey, look at us. And when we do that, expectations grow. Because he looked at them. Expecting to get something. He said, listen, I don't have any silver and gold. But what I have, I'll give to you. That's the second thing that, that a, a spirit-filled church does is imparts healing. He, you know, it wasn't that Peter was against giving money. He just didn't have it. But what he did have. Now remember, I told you, Peter and John were given the privilege of being partakers of the divine nature. He said, but what I do have, I'm going to give you all of it. And he said to him, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. It's important to remember at this point, if you're going to create expectations and give what you have, you better know what it is you have. If you don't have Jesus, you can't give Jesus. If you don't have the joy of the Lord in your life, you can't give the joy of the Lord in your life. That's why it's so important to make sure your heart's right. And you're where the Lord wants you to be. You're walking with Him on a daily basis. You're growing in the Lord. And when you are, you can give that out. And He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, walk, is what He said. You see, He was able to 
touch this hurting human with the power of heaven. He reached out and he touched him. Now, we need to be careful not to let things get in our way. You know, when, when a church begins to explode and things begin to happen, we get excited, wouldn't you say? If your pastor baptized somebody every week, you'd be kind of excited around here, wouldn't you? I know he would be. I mean, in people's lives getting changed every day. And, and, and then, you know, we human beings, we need to be careful. Because sometimes we can say, hey, look at what we're doing. You need to be careful to give credit where credit is due. It is nothing of my doing or your doing, but it is all his doing. And so Peter and John said, listen, I, I, I give you this. Now, there's a story. Thomas Aquinas was uh, an early church father. And he recall, recalls a moment when he went to speak to Pope Innocent II. It's recorded. And he went in there and he noticed the Pope counting large sums of money. And the Pope said, Thomas, no longer can the church say we do not have silver or gold. Then Thomas said, neither can we say get up and walk. You see, the church, the Pope had allowed material things to become more important to him than souls. And Thomas just seemed to point that out. You see, healing that the world needs comes from Jesus and it comes through emissaries. That's you and I of a spirit-filled church. There's a, in verse 7, there's a, a very important point. If you, if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. And this is really good. A church that's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is a church that believes in faith and acts on faith. Now, Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And here's what he did to prove that he believed what it is he said. He believed in what he said that would happen. Look at verse 7. Then, after, right after he said that, Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. That is a picture of faith. That is a picture of faith. That you're going to trust what you know to be true. Now, I have done this trust. James, James, come up here, please. This is going to be good. He's a little worried, I think, but come on up here, buddy. I love to pickle on youth pastors, don't you? So that's what that's in the job description, right, Bobby? To pick on the, it's not, oh. Oh, that's right, you were one, weren't you? Oh, all right. You trust me? Sure. Oh, it's <laughs> kind of hesitant, wasn't he? All right, you just fall back, I'm going to catch you. Go ahead. Give him a hand. He did a good job, didn't he? That's what faith is all about. Is believing in what you know to be the truth and stepping out and acting on that faith. And that's what Peter did. Because he believed what it, he believed that the Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, could make him walk. And to prove that he believed it, he reached down and grabbed him by the hand and said, come on buddy, let's go. And I believe that's when the healing took place because I believe the power flowed right through Peter, through his hands, and right into this lame man. 
then the Bible says that emissaries of a spirit-filled church imparts joy. I've been waiting all week to get to this point in this verse. I can't wait for you all to see what's here. Look at verse 8. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. Let's just stop right there. He never walked a day in his life. Every day someone had to carry him. He was a burden to someone every day, every moment of every day. He never, he wasn't in the mainstream. He didn't know anything about Pentecost. He, he didn't know anything about uh, anything. And all of a sudden somebody paid attention to him and somebody imparted healing to him and, uh, and instantly he stood for the very first time. Can you imagine what was going on in his heart and mind? He stood for the very first time. He walked for the very first time. You realize he never walked? He didn't have to go to six months of physical therapy to learn how to walk. Instantaneously, when God gets a hold of a soul and a life, instantaneously things can take place, and it did in his life. He walked for the very first time. Do you suppose in his heart and in his soul he was getting happy? I'd say so. Then the Bible says, he entered the temple complex with them. Oh, he was not allowed in the temple complex. He was a beggar. He couldn't go in there. Instantaneously, what happened to him, he was touched by the power of God through emissaries of a spirit-filled church. Heaven had came down. What this meant for him is that someone showed him concern. It meant that God loved him. It meant that he could now be involved. He could work. He could be involved in life, in the community. He stood up and he just walked. Can you imagine how tall he looked when he walked? I'm going into church. Remember me? I'm the beggar that you pass by every day. Don't pay any attention to me every day. I'm he. That's going to come important in just a moment. Then the Bible says, when he was walking in, that he was walking and he was leaping. It didn't say leaped. It said leaping. So what that means is, He was continuously leaping. That temple that day had church. He got kind of excited about what God had done in his life. I had this old deacon in my first church. Old guy, wonderful guy, but he was a little stick in the mud. And God was blessing our first, my first plant and it would just work and this guy got was radically saved and he came to church every time the doors opened and he was so excited he'd always run to me pastor what can i do wouldn't that be a, a kind of a wonderful thing huh bobby what can i do how can i serve you or the church or the lord today he would do that all the time one time warren was standing next to me and he come up and asked me and i said well brother let's say you can do this you can do that whatever and warren said don't worry preacher he'll settle down one of these days Yeah, I said, Warren, I looked him right in the face. I said, Warren, I hope he never settles down. I hope he never gets over his salvation. Listen, I was saved when I was seven, and I'm not over it yet. 
And I hope none of you get over it. Because a church that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is filled with people who are not over their salvation. They can't believe that God would love them enough to save their old dirty souls. And He does. And He took your sin and mine to the cross. That's something to be happy about. That's something to be joyful about. And and He was leaping. So He was continuously leaping. He had never leaped before in His life. What an experience that must have been for him. He was leaping, and then it says, praising God. What he did that day, he took a mundane religious practice and turned it into a spirit-filled event. Because they saw God at work, they knew he was the beggar. They couldn't deny something had happened. <laughs> you know, in, in, the, uh, in chapter 4, the Pharisees tried to, to, tried to say that this was magic or something else. And, you know, they arrested Peter and John and they called the parents and said, Now look, was he really lame? And his parents said, Yes, well, why don't you ask him? He was, he was born lame. I mean, you know, and so, uh, you know, it, it, it was back and forth, back and forth. In chapter four, Peter and John were so excited to get arrested. And they came, when they released him, but see, the people, the, the, the Pharisees who didn't like him couldn't deny it. See, this man went in the church rejoicing. How could he help but not rejoice? Do you know that God loves you? Do you? Do you really know that He loves you? Do you know what He saved you from? How has He met your needs in your life? Uh, listen, it, it's I, I, one of the things that just burdens my heart is I feel like the church has lost its ability to rejoice. I love old Vance Havner. I know Bobby knows who Vance Havner is. Great old Southern theologian. And he said this about those who've lost their joy. He said, it's okay to be excited. Some dear souls think themselves dignified when really they are petrified. We have lost our leap and we need to get it back. And I say, amen. Irma Bombach. Now, I'm not an Irma Bombach fan. However, she wrote in one of her articles one time that she was in church. I'm glad to hear she was in church. But she said this, she wrote in our article, she said, she was sitting in church one Sunday when a small child turned around and began to smile at the people behind her. Now, you, you've seen that in church, haven't you? Little, little toddler or somebody stand up and just turn around and go, see what you're doing already? You're already smiling. Because you can picture that, right? This, this child was doing nothing but just smiling. And, and uh, she goes on to write, uh, uh, she wasn't making a sound, and then her mother noticed what she was doing, she said in a staged whisper, Stop that grinning. You're in church. Swatted her a little behind and made her sit down. And Irma Bombeck concluded that some people come to church looking like their deceased rich aunt left everything to their pet hamster. I think that's true. You know. All right, preacher, I'm here. Go ahead and entertain me. You got just a few minutes. Go ahead. I think some people think they're doing God a favor by showing up at 11 o'clock. 
Oh my goodness. If that's your attitude, go back home. Go back home. My father used to greet people coming into church out in the parking lot. I would stand out there with him sometimes. and You know, he would get out there and people would get out of their car and he'd say, Good morning, isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? And so I, I remember that. When I came, went into the ministry, I figured, well, I'll do the same thing. And, and, and I was in Mississippi, and, I, and we could see that the main road out here, another road, Cattle Gap, come into the, by the parsonage and into the church. There was a house and a big field right here, so you could see people coming in. And I remember one Sunday morning, I was out in the parking lot, and I saw this family, uh, husband, wife, three little kids. And I could see them coming on, on the street there, on the road there. And I could see this. And they kept on doing it. Came all the way down. Across the cattle gap. Coming into the bargain line. You know, all that kind of stuff. You know, they were bickering back and forth. And so they pulled in their parking spot. I went right up to the door. He opened the door and said, Hey, brother, aren't you glad to be in church today? Oh, yes, pastor. We're ready. No, they weren't. They needed to go back home. Listen, folks. It wouldn't hurt if our hearts were ablaze once again with such joy and excitement over Christ. But a church filled with the power of Holy Holy Spirit is a church that has the ability to do that. Well, one last thing. A Spirit-filled church imparts wonder. (laughs) I love this. Look at verse 9. We didn't read this. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Real quickly, they knew he was a beggar, and they couldn't believe what they were seeing. It could not be denied. When God's at work powerfully, it cannot be denied. You know, that's why I've always in ministry wanted to be involved in God-sized projects. I wanted to do those things that only could be explained by God. Because if I did only what I could do, that wouldn't be very, very uh, exciting. You know, I, I want to be involved in those things. And so I've always in ministry, I've always made my, my uh, finance committee and my treasurer kind of nervous. Because I would come up with these grandiose ideas I believe God laid on my heart to do. And, and, and invariably, I would get the question, well, how are we going to do it, preacher? I don't know. But I know if He led us to it, He's going to provide for it. And you know what? In 25, 26 years of ministry, every time I've done it that way, He's always provided. And people have always been astonished and in wonder. When the church of the living God gets busy imparting uh, expectations and healing and joy and doing the things that God calls them to do, the world is going to look at it and go, scratch their head. I know those people. There's no way they could have done that. How's this happening? God is involved in this kind of church. That's what a healthy church who is filled with the power of God, will do. And then, and only then, will you be able to be the kind of witnesses that He wants you to be. Well, I want to close today with a contrast between a church 
that is alive because of the power of the Holy Spirit and a church that is not. And I'm going to ask you a question at the end. Here it is. Live churches are constantly changing. Dead churches don't have to. Live churches have lots of noisy kids. Dead churches are fairly quiet. Live churches' expenses always exceeds their income. Dead churches take in more than they ever dream of spending. Live churches are constantly improving for the future. Dead churches worship their past. Live churches move out in faith. Dead churches operate totally by human spirit. Live churches focuses on people. Dead churches focuses on programs and buildings. Live churches are filled with tithers. Dead churches are filled with tippers. Live churches dream great dreams of God. Dead churches relive nightmares. Live churches don't have can't in their vocabulary. Dead churches have nothing but. And finally, live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. What kind of church are you? What kind of church do you want to be? I know what you want to be. You want to be alive. You've shown me that. I know that of the very activity that you do. But listen to me. In, in, the, in seeking out that effort, make sure you do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe God is wanting to do something very special here at Keshia Baptist Church. Here in Windsor, North Carolina. Because Lord have mercy, Windsor needs it. Bertie County needs it. Uh, our area needs it. Our state, our nation, and our world needs revival to come. And it's only going to come through the church alone. So church... Let's let the Holy Spirit revive us, refresh us, and remind us of whose we are. If you're here tonight and you are living a who-hum Christian life, stop it! Because you don't have to. Recommit your heart to Him. Recommit your heart to this ministry and this church. And maybe God will just use you in ways you never dreamed possible. There's something you need to do with the Lord, some of sin you need to confess, some prayer you need to pray. Maybe you're here tonight, tonight and you don't fully know for sure whether you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't leave this place until you settle that matter right here, right now. Would you stand with me? Bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, please. This is your chance to respond to the message of Jesus from His Word. And my question and my challenge to you tonight is, why not? Oh, why not? Father, I pray for courage in this room. For those who are here who have matters on their hearts that they know they need to get settled here tonight, Lord, I pray that You'll give them the courage to step out from where they are and come and grab their pastor by the hand. Oh, God, would You move among us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Betsy, we're going to sing something. What are we going to sing? Hymn number 380. 380. If you'll turn in your hymn book to page 380. And we sing, and as we sing, would you come? Terry, I appreciate you 
breaking open God's Word and sharing with us today, uh, more than you know. I pray that the Lord is doing uh, great things in your life. Pray that He's moving. Um, the Lord doesn't always do business with us publicly. Sometimes uh, it's inside, and, and don't think just because a lot of folks aren't moving that the Lord's not doing things. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the Lord gets us uh, during the week and during the daytime. I want to share a brief, something very brief with you, and I'll give you a chance to, to close with anything. If you're here and you're wondering, uh, or the Lord's laid on your heart that you want to take the next step in your Christian walk, and you don't know what that is, my prayer is that you would reach out to me, and I can help you take that next step. I know what it is, okay? And you say, well, Pastor, how do you know what it is? Well, a lot of you are business owners, a lot of you are uh, in law enforcement, you're good at music. You have all sorts of nine-to-five vocation jobs, right? I don't tell any of you how to do your job, right? Don't tell me how to be a pastor. With all due respect, I know how to be a pastor. I'm new at it, but God's called me to do it. I just want to share with you that if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, you've got to follow me in being your pastor. After all of this storm and everything else is gone, uh, after all the time we've been together, I know the direction that God wants us to go. When I came here, one of the questions that I asked before I even came, I looked our search committee in the eyes, and I said, what's your vision for this church? And they said, we don't have one. And I chuckled and I said, so you mean to tell me, and they can all tell you this is true, I said, so you mean to tell me you expect me to come and you expect me to have a vision and whatever that vision is, you're going to follow it. And they collectively said, yes, sir. And I chuckled again and I said, yeah, right. And they looked me dead in the eye, serious as they could be. And they said, no, we're serious. They said, wherever God leads you, we can only speak for us in this room, but we're going to follow and I want you all during this season of revival to know that we've spent three years loving one another. We've spent three years building trust with one another. And I know where the next step is. And we're going to take us in that direction. It's not grand. It's not expensive. It seems small. But it has the ability to multiply exponentially. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to roll things out. And the time is right. The time is right. And you may not even realize it's taking place, but uh, there's a next step. And so I want to start with those of you here who you feel like the Lord's calling you to take that next step. This is not a class. This is this is more something that's one-on-one. There's, there's a route for the ladies and there's a route for the men. I just want you to know that we know what it is and we're going to go that direction. And so what I want you to do is I want you to follow in faith where the Lord's leading you. And I want you to trust me as we continue to go forward. I want you to know that I love you. I care for you deeply. I hope that the Lord's working in uh, all of your lives. Uh, he is in mine. I know that uh, revival is, is doing me well. I tell you, the, the world seems to be beating us down nine to five. Uh, but at least between seven and eight, we're getting fed, right? And so I pray that you'll invite your friends and family members tomorrow. Uh, we've got some, we've got some food. We've got some more food on top of it. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Lord, for the Lord to do great things amongst us. And so, uh, Terry, can I give you a minute for any closing thoughts before we wrap up? 
choir before I go, uh, you guys always have sounded good ever since I've been here. With those doors closed, you sound even better. <laughs> True story. True story. And, and that, that's coming from people on this side of the door, not that side of the door. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, the, the reverb in the room, uh, listen, you see, I sound like a music guy now. The reverb in the room sounds even better and you guys sound like uh, a choir twice your size. So thank you. Uh, you are a blessing tonight. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Tarkington if you would close us in prayer. And after you close us in prayer, we'll be dismissed. Don't forget to sign up for food if you're coming tomorrow. Please close us.